Hi, I'm Danny Belvin. And I'm Damika Brown. And we're biracial unicorns. And I wish we had the chill of Bob Ross. Dude, homeboy is goals. So chill. Like, from the fro, to the skills, to his love for animals, just a level of chill I want to reach in my life. Yeah. (laughs) Don't disown me, but I was never, like, a big Bob Ross person. I know, like, people are, like, super into Bob Ross, and I've, I've seen enough to, like, know the references, but I feel like I was just missing that in my childhood. A lot of people in our generation, like, uh-huh. were already well familiar with him because their parents would watch or they would watch. But I had never heard of Bob Ross before this recent, like, resurgence of him into the public it, zeitgeist. Uh girl so you know how we're we're both like we have kind of this thing if everyone's into it we kind of don't want to be into it anymore yeah so the thing is the only reason why i know bob ross is because once upon a time not too long ago tv would end and it would either be Mm. infomercials or it'd be like bob ross and so that's you know i had probably very early onset insomnia and i would just be up i couldn't sleep and so i would he would be on or it'd be about you know a roasting pan or something so i'd watch bob ross i knew a lot of infomercials Mm-mm, girl For sure. the set and sure. forget it we'll have to talk about that <laughs> later <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't really thought about that i guess it was different tv did used to end and it was just some channels would not be on the air Mm-hmm. Some channels would have infomercials. Cable channels, a lot of cable channels had, like, things, I guess, right? Yeah. Like, they had more programming. But like, Nick like at Night. Later. Nick at Night on Nickelodeon, right? Yeah. It was just different programming. Mm-hmm. It was. But once again, even things like Nick at Night, that didn't happen until I was about a teenager, you know-ish mm, mm. or so. But No, it, no, no. I think it? Nick at Night was around. Was like, it? how do I know all these old sitcoms otherwise? I mean, we all nicked at night, but I'm trying to decide. <laughs> I thought that we all nicked at night. It was, it's, um, it's a thing. It's like, it was pre-Netflix and chill. I don't know. Now, shit. Okay. Is it worth looking up when? I mean, now I don't I'm, know. I don't know. Now, maybe someone will correct us. Maybe someone out there will just tell us, give us the answer. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We did. I think maybe middle school. Maybe when we were like middle school age is when Nick at Night came out. I'm going to push back. I think it was younger. Do you think younger? You may be right. I'm I'm just going to go and say I'm I'm airing in a zone of probably wrong. But definitely, we we have to thank it or else we would know I Love Lucy, The Monsters. I wrote a report on I Love Lucy in fifth grade because I had already been a huge fan of I Love Lucy for so long. So mm. I feel like, where else was I watching I Love Lucy? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Also, there is, this is, oh my gosh, I wonder if I could find it. At the Children's Museum in Las Vegas when I was a kid, they had like this kids radio thing, like a, a radio studio and like recording and all this stuff. And then you could like sign up to like be on the air or whatever. <gasps> no. So. Yeah, so I signed up, and then I got, like, really shy about it <laughs> when oh, no. I was going to do it. It was very, very little, but I, I still have the recording of it. I can't remember. One of my parents ended up interviewing me <laughs> on oh, this show. I can't. Yeah, and, and I remember listening to it years later, and I was like, oh, my God, my voice was so high. I have a high-pitched voice now, so you can imagine as a child, <laughs> my voice was so high. <laughs> It was like the highest pitch voice I'd ever heard. But anyways, one of the questions was like, what's your favorite TV show? I don't know. I must have been like three or four. And I'm like, get smart. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Three-year-old has no business watching get smart, but okay. (laughs) Oh, girl, that's okay. I was definitely quoting like Samford and Son, very racially charged, (laughs) like a very small child should have been like, calling people dummy and this is the big one like probably should not be <laughs> walking around faking a heart attack like an old black man <laughs> like, yeah so thank I don't you know. you're probably right though thank you nick at night for giving us all our old references and forever making us slightly more mature than probably need be right i mean ugh, i was a small adult i was more mature at four than i am now so <laughs> and we've just defined a later scale millennial there we go. 
<laughs> well, that was that was a delightful introduction to something that has nothing to do with our main topic today, which is yeah. okay. We have had this planned for a while. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a heavy topic, which now mm-hmm. we're like, these are heavy times. Hopefully this is not too heavy a topic for the times. Mm. Well, I, I think what's actually, I don't believe in coincidences. I think it's poignant because it does talk about trauma. And I think this is something mm. about the times we live in right now. I think yeah, people for real. need to be almost aware of what actually might be happening for them and for the next generation of what it means to be under this amount of stress and kind of concern. So it is timely, just heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we just dive in? Yes. Uh, today on the show, we are talking about intergenerational trauma. It just rolls right off the tongue. Sometimes yeah. some people call it transgenerational trauma sometimes. Or just yeah. generational trauma. There, we're going to break it down a little bit in case you're not familiar or over familiar. It's something that is being increasingly talked about these days. Maybe like a year, two years ago, I had never heard of this. Mm. But I think it's it's something that I've been familiar with for a while now. It's something that I talk a lot about in therapy. So that's awesome. Mm. It's this... This relatively new theory that they're talking about this idea that trauma not only impacts the person experiencing the trauma, but it's something that impacts future generations as well. And so it's a combination of things like of actual genetic Uh effects, which we'll talk a little bit about, but also this idea that trauma affects your behavior so it affects the way that you behave towards your children which affects the way they behave towards their children and it's just this this cycle mm-hmm. and a lot of this intergenerational trauma that they talk about is is cyclical right mm-hmm. so i think you hear a lot about particularly in the mental health and mental illness world like breaking these cycles right mm-hmm. and that has a lot to do with this intergenerational trauma it does for me personally i have heard it mostly in the realm of addiction mm. and mm-hmm. and that's kind of where i was the most familiar at but really researching yeah. and reading kind of like you said in the last you know from i know 10 years they've been kind of hitting it but it was still kind of like a uh it was a far reach there was no research or people really backing it just a very few people but now i really do feel people like it this is a real thing this is serious. Uh, it deals with a lot of things of race and gender and going back to, to, yes. to trauma and really breaking it down. And it's been uh, fascinating is not the right word. It's been very eye opening. So I was I really want to make sure today's show is actually not improving. It was actually funny. One of the authors of the book that I read, I was watching her on a PBS special. It was about mm-hmm. like a 28 little kind of segment. She's talking about a book she wrote, you know, eons ago. So she's like, yeah, the OG. And they're talking and it got to be about the end of their time. She's giving examples, talking about her experiences. You know, this is what people do when talking about a book or something they've been studying. The gentleman talks to the author and he's like, oh, you know, we we ran out of time, as they all do. You know, it's been great having you. And she starts laughing kind of to herself, really. And you can tell it kind of throws the guy off. And she just goes, it's funny. I'm here to really talk about healing. But I've spent most of the time explaining and defending the very thing I wanted to talk to healing about. And it just kind of, it just blew, girl, right? It just kind of blew my mind. So I wanted to make sure like we're bringing this up, not saying this could possibly be it or maybe or it's out there. Like We're not defending anything. These are legitimate things that are backed up by science and study and, and just evidence. And so we want to talk about what's going on, some maybe even some personal experiences, some definition, but also talking about healing and some resources today. Absolutely. And thank you for for saying that and for laying that out. I think that that's that's really important that we leave that time and space to talk about the healing and and resources available for people. Words like trauma are hard because mm-hmm. they can mean so many things, right? Like trauma and then I don't know about you, but like for me, and this is being a little more personal than I actually even want to be, um, 
and it's going to be very vague because every time I'm like, oh, I really opened up. It was like <laughs> I said my favorite color is purple or something like really Girl, inconsequential re- to reel most it people. In. Reel, give them their address. <laughs> give them your address. Why don't you? Uh, no. <laughs> so words like trauma, I think, are hard because they can mean so many different things. And then for me personally, I feel like I'm being dramatic if I refer yes. to anything that has happened to me as trauma, mm-hmm. um, no matter how bad it actually is. <laughs> like It could be like, you know, I, I'm sure I could have like my arm cut off and be like, oh, but is that really trauma? Like things, it's hard because it feels like such a heavy word mm-hmm. to use that exactly. it's hard to identify it with your own experiences. And I think for for us in particular on this show talking about it, I think a lot of this like racial trauma is really important to talk about, both historical and like currently happening because that is trauma that affects people and that is carried on through generations. Could be like a specific traumatic event that happened to you personally, or it could be these larger ideas of like historical racial trauma that still have a real impact on an individual as well. Exactly. And and th- that's part of the problem. And that's why it's so I think important that even though, you know, this topic is a bit heavier, we do open up because the moment you say racial trauma, you can go into a room of a mixture of people and say it, and it's going to change the entire atmosphere of the room. You're going to get people who are going to be deeply affected and you're going to have people who are going to feel greatly offended. Mm. Like, oh, here we go. Here we go again, talking about that. So as Denny said, racial trauma is a very like individual kind of experience of you know mental and physical stress, fighting microaggressions, dealing with contact racism on a day-to-day and historical is, you know, more of a family line. But when you bring that up, people so, you know, that's what you're talking about. If your arm came off, you would try to downgrade it. We have literally adapted our behavior to minimize racial trauma to make it comfortable for everybody else these are the things we need these are the the words this is the language we need to talk we have become adapted to downgrading what has happened in our history and who we are (laughs) there are real effects like you said there are real like long-term lasting effects it's not only have we been conditioned to downgrade like these racial traumas but because of that because we're already in that mindset and in that attitude we like downgrade all of the traumas right like things are very easily normalized um, particularly in communities of color and we act like you know oh it's no big deal Exactly. And so people who fall under racial trauma and historical racial trauma, it's going to be the 300 back years of slavery for African Americans, uh, First Mm -hmm. Nation people, Holocaust survivors, even people who have been through natural disasters, hurricanes, earthquakes, things of that nature, really massive impact. COVID-19. That's all of us, y'all. Yeah, exactly. Welcome. If you have not experienced trauma, if you're tense, welcome. <laughs> oh, for yeah, real. Yeah. You know, do you, do you feel tense and very uncertain at the times, not being able to see sleep, feeling on edge and stress? Welcome. It's trauma. It's trauma. <laughs> it's trauma. Welcome. We've reserved a table for you. Uh, and I, I think that's another reason why this is very important now, because I think we're I don't think people are going to fully understand the effects this has had on people and their mental health for a while. So let's kind of walk through a little bit. How do you feel racial and or historical trauma has really, how do you see that play out today? What does that, what do you think that looks like today for somebody? Hmm. I mean, I feel like we've talked about it so much just on the show, uh, generally, right? Like, it's just existing in a society that is not created for you is, like, base level, right? Mm -hmm. Like, all of us people of color, mixed race people, women, all of us experience this, right? We're existing in a society that is not created for us. So we're also existing in a world where 
our experience, instead of feeling normalized, feels exoticized or fetishized or different. And that, after a while, really takes a toll on a person, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's just like base level, like level of trauma that I think is in that easily dismissed um, Mm. category. But I think there's also, like you've mentioned already, this idea of culture and things being taken away from people. And I think this is something that even white people can can experience and, and feel as well. Because your like cultural experiences have been taken away, you're like not able to connect with that deep history in a way that is feels meaningful or fe- feels like you're having a release almost. Mm. So I think there there's like something a part of you that feels like something is missing. I, I agree. How does it manifest? Do you know, I think that's another thing too. If people are like, well, if we have this, you know, I am a person who faces microaggressions. Even today, I had a very lovely microaggression pop up in my face when I'm just trying to hang out with my family. If I have experienced mm. racial trauma in my life, which I have, and had the historical racial trauma in my past, you're going to see that manifest in ways of just constantly having to be on guard. People who've experienced racial and historical trauma, their fight or flight kind of synapses yes. are going to be, they're going to look a lot different. Uh, you're going to find a lot more fatigue of just having to constantly just kind of survive and and, and deal with that. You're going to see responses like minimizing trauma. You're going to do things of like, for me, uh, defensive othering. You're going to see things like colorism. You're going to see of internal racism. Mm. You're going to see these things manifest in, in other ways as well. And that's going to have to deal all about survival. Because that's what we want to do in this world. We're trying to we're trying to get by, and sometimes that survival is also going to manifest into high blood pressure, um, anger issues, depression, yeah. uh, hypertension, um, feeling inept to deal with relationships, parenting. You know, you know, all, all kind of things. I was listening to the the one of your favorite podcasts, NPR, talking about you know, being concerned of having, bringing children into this world of not wanting to pass down kind of all all of this trauma. (laughs) Quite honestly, like that is a big concern in my life. Like I don't have kids. And one of, one of the things that scares me the most about kids is, is passing on a lot of shit, (laughs) like a Mm. lot of things, you know, there's a lot of mental illness in my family. There's a lot of like trauma. There's a lot of things that can be passed on and it scares me Mm. um, for real but yeah no I think I think you're right about all these these things manifesting in this way but something I want to push back on just a little bit because it's something that is constantly coming up in therapy for me is these survival tactics aren't necessarily bad like yes colorism is bad but like these are things that we have taught ourselves to do in Mm. order to survive and they are habitual for many of us and we do them without realizing we're doing them and yes we can be to a point in our lives where we want to change the behavior and that's great but also it's not helpful for us to categorize it as bad because it's it's something that we have done in order to survive as long as we have. So mm. there's something there's something in there that has like kept us safe, kept us whole, and allowed us to to live in this world. So I think that's important to keep in mind too. Like I don't think it's helpful to categorize things as bad. It is helpful to think, well, you know what? That behavior is no longer serving me. I'm ready to move beyond that behavior, and I'm recognizing that it's going to take a lot of work and effort to break that behavior. I think I think that's the what I would really like for us to try to get to that point where that behavior is no longer necessary. Yes. And so for us yes. to be like because we have to like there are certain things about survival that you said that are necessary because it is part of that resiliency. People of color are an amazing resilient group of people if you think about the hundreds of years of slavery, tyranny, rape, 
colonialism, colonialism, things of that nature. Look at the resiliency. And the only way of doing that is through these survival tactics. But thinking about how far we have come and still needing those in order to live a life that is still very traumatically filled. It's one of those things of still calling it out and saying, hey, guess what? The reason why I, for me, speaking of being personal, growing up and kind of distancing myself from stereotypes of people of color because here I am, one of the very few people of color in most of my life, I would participate in defensive othering, which I wasn't even aware I was doing that. That was a defensive thing. But for me saying people going back, hey, Demika, you used to joke about weaves and joke about how, you know, slang and how you don't really do that and joke. I'm like, actually, no, that was a way for me to be able to survive in a world where I'm constantly the minority and I no longer want to survive. I I desperately want to start changing the environment to where I don't need to do that. So I I completely agree. I think there is a place where it's like, we still need to have those. I'm mad that we still need to have those, Mm. but what's going to change first, you know, (laughs) it's a larger issue for sure. Mm -hmm. Girl, It's something that's only so much in our control and in our power Mm -hmm. (laughs) to change. So that's, that's a hard thing to grapple with as well. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I know it's like, fucking hate cheesy rhymey slogan things Girl, but i think <laughs> there's really something in in there about the desire to not just survive but to thrive as mm-hmm. well and i think that's kind of what you're getting at it's like just surviving is not enough like we need to create a situation in a place where we're able to be our full selves and to be able to thrive and and live a life without like (laughs) having to experience trauma because we are opening ourselves up and being vulnerable and being the most real version of ourselves that we can be. Mm, That's so good. So you kind of already touched on this a little bit, but uh, do you feel comfortable kind of going a little bit deeper? Are there any other ways you feel any of these particular traumas have really touched your own life. I know you've already mentioned the fear of bringing a child into this world, which I get. <laughs> right. Right. No, I get that. I waited a long, long time. And I think, I think my husband bribed me with a sandwich. I'm not even quite sure really of the details, but there is, and this isn't necessarily intergenerational, but it kind of is these traumas of like, I have a lot of self image issues. I have a lot of, I'm very self-critical. And I think there's a lot of that that is very rooted in colonialism for mm. me. Even if I'm just talking like, like I'm talking everything, but but if I'm just talking even physically, and I think this is something perhaps you can relate to as well, not to like put things on you. Oh, but, no. you know, I am not, and we've talked about this, like I am not typically white attractive like that is not like I am not pretty in a classical sense and by classical I mean Mm -hmm. white girl sense and so I think that's a lot of a lot of things that many women of color struggle with right like my nose is too round like all these Mm -hmm. sorts of things and so that's like an interesting trauma and it's something that I see within my own mother and like and I think a lot of families see this I don't necessarily see this in my family but like a parent praising like particularly in a mixed race family a parent praising like more white features Mm. in certain children as like more attractive than other features and and I think that's that's another weird like intergenerational thing that is put on us Mm, that is really interesting. But I think a lot of people can really, really relate to that. And I think once again, if people heard you saying, you know, it's my my features, I don't think people would say that's self-esteem. Been like, no, this is a behavior that has been carried on down. Do you yeah. know that once again, I think because we got so used to downplaying it, we think we can fix these things with like a little self-help, a little self-love. Those things are great. Like, yeah, please do some of that. And we'll kind of get into those things a little bit later. But it's not it's just, you know, speaking of not wanting to use cheesy things, but it's just like weeding a garden. Unless you get down to that deep, nasty, bitter root, something is always going to come back up no matter how much you try to get at it. You know, you have to go down to the root. 
And I'm really excited. I think more people are desiring that now to do the work and start really going further back and addressing some of these further long-standing traumas. Yeah, for real. Something that that I alluded to a little earlier is it's not only like these behaviors and these thoughts that pass on through generations, but there's also like actual physical genetic Mm -hmm. things that pass on. And there have been an increase in the number of studies that look at this um, in recent years. One of the ones that's pointed to a lot is there was a study done in 2015 that was specifically on the effects of the Holocaust. So it was looking at these, they could call it epigenetic um, changes that happen to a gene because of levels of cortisol, the uh, the stress hormone. People are probably mm-hmm. familiar with that, that concept. There's the stress hormone in your body. When it's high, it changes your genetics because some things like little like chemical tag markers on your genes. And so those changes that have happened to survivors of the Holocaust that they then passed on to their children and their children passed it on to their children. So it's like a generation removed these physical changes, these genetic changes were passed on. So this idea that it's it's not just behavior or feelings mm-hmm. that are that are being passed on it's also actual physical genetic changes in people and they don't have a lot of information about like what the the long lasting effects are of these genetic changes but i just find it so interesting and terrifying that yes. that these things happen right Mm-hmm. The human body is just so complicated and crazy, and it I, is. I am not a scientist with that background knowledge, so I, it's <laughs> hard for me to wrap my mind around it. But yeah, it's really, really weird. It is crazy. Well, I mean, how many times do we hear it was almost like folklore, really? They're like, don't stress out a pregnant woman because the yeah. baby will be stressed. And now we're like, oh, snap, there's something to that. You know, there is something to that about having that that tie. I know I, I was listening to a, a gentleman, uh, a German gentleman, about four, three years ago, talking about his background in, in DNA. He did uh, following monkeys and talking about mm-hmm. how, you know, there's a hierarchy within them. And the ones that were, you know, the top of the food chain without any kind of worry gave their children more love, their children. And they actually did a DNA span of it. And you can physically see the difference yes. of, like I said, the cortisol, it was methylated, literally the impact of it as opposed to, and that's the and that, that's the only difference, the monkey that was towards the end of the chain, kind of last one, really hyper, incredibly stressed, her young, same thing, um, dealt with alcoholism, was a lot more sexually aggressive, uh, had a hard time associating and getting along with other monkeys. It's that was the only yeah. thing that was different was their personal stress levels had yeah. the same background. It's nuts. Absolutely nuts. There was this this study of it that was done on rats. Yes, Just girl. Poor rats, man. <laughs> rats always get this. They took the offspring of rats who had experienced trauma and they compared them to the offspring of rats who had not experienced trauma and Typically, the offspring mimicked the same symptoms that you would mm-hmm. see in in children who had experienced early trauma, even though they didn't experience the trauma themselves. Um, so that meant that they were higher risk takers. They needed higher calorie intake. They just ate more. Yes. They, <laughs> they were antisocial. All of these things that could be indicative of experiencing early trauma, even though they didn't experience it. And then they took it a step further and they actually extracted RNA molecules from the sperm of male Mm -hmm. mice who had been traumatized and injected those molecules into early stage embryo of mice whose parents had not experienced early life trauma. And still those offspring experienced those same behavior patterns. So it's it can be like literally in your makeup mm-hmm. or it could be put into your makeup you know it's it's 
woo, it's hard. So it's hard to think that like, not only are you battling against, you know, these societal influences, these Mm -hmm. mental influences, the impacts of how your parents treated you, all of these things, but also it might be coming from inside as well. Exactly. Can you imagine being a Jewish person and having to deal with, like you said, with the everyday stresses and microaggressions and racism and, and back, you know, having that and all of a sudden in your DNA lurks the oppression and hardship yeah. of the Holocaust lurking within it. Same thing for me, you know, it, it's so it, it's not hopeless. But it's one of those things that we say these things not to be like, well, you know, you're all screwed because we've all gone through something. No, this is to continue to give the validity of why we cannot downplay historical and racial trauma. I don't want to hear anymore that happened a long time ago. We have moved on. Can we just get over this? Can we just get over this, girl? You know, I've heard so many people, white Mm -hmm. people, um, say that. (laughs) I'm just like, how can you say that? How can you say that in this world? I feel like we should be woke enough to realize that you can't just decide that we've moved beyond it. Like, that's not feasible. Not even just from a humanitarian aspect. Because now I'm like, no, scientifically, we can't get over it. Exactly. Like, scientifically, I can't get over it. And that is probably one of the most, if you want to talk about privilege, that must be the most ignorant privilege thing. But we, you hear it all the time. And people do not want to digest it. They cannot. But it's actually funny. Not funny. Gosh, what was it? Was it? I, like, I read two separate books. I'll link them in our show notes that were very, very, very helpful. One of the books I was reading talked about like fictitious trauma. Have you heard of this girl? No, like, no. Um, or not, not fictitious. I'm so sorry. A vicarious trauma. Sorry. Another oh, notes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that vicarious trauma. So even white people, this is for you talking about. So let's let's take it back to uh, to Jim Crow. Let's let's take it. Let's take it back. You know, we think slavery is, a, you know, done and we're making efforts, even though that's completely not true. And um, black people are still being lynched if they walk on the wrong side of the sidewalk and or postcards look- are being sold of yep. actual dead bodies that are lynched. OK, Continue. exactly. Sorry. So it's, it's a lovely Saturday afternoon and there's a couple of public lynchings in the middle of your square because there's places that still have memorials to public lynching in their towns. So I'm looking at you. 13 colonies. <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. you you have as a small child and you see people getting lynched or the body still hanging in the tree. In your mind, that is going to traumatize you as a white person. At least I hope so. It's going right. to be disturbing. It's going to be terrifying. So what do you have to do in order to survive something that traumatic? You have to rationalize it. And now what do you have to do in order to rationalize? You have to dehumanize yes. that person. You have to say in the back of your mind, you deserved it. And before you all think I'm crazy, if you've ever said, wow, this person, this black person was shot by a police. Well, what did they do to deserve it? Was their hands on the steering wheel? Even simpler example is a homeless person, right? Like oh, in the back yeah. of your mind, a lot of times you're like, oh, well, they must be addicted to drugs. They must have done this. They must have, you know, like justifying what could have happened to have put them in that situation. Exactly. Which I mean, I mean, I think a lot of people can say they're and not just white people. A lot of people can say that they're guilty of that. But I'm saying even passing down that through white generations of having to do that, you know, th- this woman and uh, there was in, in several different articles I was reading talking about just that. So you're the victim of your own trauma in your life of when it's dealing with race instead of just kind of opening your mind of like, wow, look at the tragedy. You've had generations encoded mm-hmm. in your DNA of trying to rationalize mm-hmm. these heinous acts against people of color. And because yes. we won't name it, you won't name it and claim it, as they say, we're still going to be dealing with it. Exactly. So that's me speaking that boldly about it, you know. <laughs> and I think another, just another layer of this to add on that's mm-hmm. really interesting about this epigenetic stuff is a lot of it i mean there's a lot of in your utero stuff that happens so like if your your pregnant mother is experiencing something like that's gonna affect you but 
what I find really fascinating about a lot of this is a lot of it is kind of sex linked genes. So like a father is more likely to pass on his things to his son. And then a mother is more likely to pass on their things to their daughter. Mm. That's another thing where we see a lot of (laughs) the burden and weight of these things on women that just like, will not go away even even with like all of the things all of the advances we've had as a society and um mm. being more more equal oh man well let let's okay so we've established it's a thing we've yeah. established that a lot more people are probably walking around suffering with it than maybe even acknowledge it or know it yep. we've acknowledged that we all we can all feel screwed, but that that's not really the case. There are things we can do. Right. <laughs> Should we? We talked about how it kind of affects us a little bit. I don't know if you want to talk about the complexities of it as a mixed rate person, or do you want to kind of dive into some healing, so, some good, some, do you feel like turning this car around? And I mean, you know. I don't think we need to harp on it for very long. I think people probably have a, an idea of what we're going to say, that being mixed race just complicates it further. <laughs> Right. It's it's one of those situations Surprise. of like we get the worst of all worlds. <laughs> like we have all of those things inside of us. The like you mentioned the the trauma and the dehumanizing um like attitudes that have impacted several generations of white people. We got that too. We got all of yeah. it. We got it all. Yep. It's a mixed bag. Try being inwardly genetically upset with yourself. It's really weird, guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I and, and this is something, I don't know, I may have said this on the show before, but this is something that I was aware of from a very young age, that the fact that I am such a product of colonialism, like I remember being like seven or eight and saying something to my mom, like, wait, 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 hold up. So you're telling me... <laughs> My people yeah. killed my other people, like <laughs> throughout, like yeah. several different different warring <laughs> aspects inside of me. This history, um, you know, people killing each other and hating each other, and yet here I am. I don't yet know. here you are. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of like with mixed race kids and mixed race people, they're like, and yet here I am, <laughs> despite all yep. the odds. Here I am just trying to exist with all of this. And so there's, um, yeah, it's, there's a space for that. There, I think there definitely is. And I think even in the material that I was reading, I did find it even as a mixed race person being like, Ooh, this is tough because some people tend to lean on the fact of not, not we've talked about it. You know, there's some people who feel like with the mixture is borderline on erasure or erasure. Right. And, uh, it's it's hard not to, you know, you have to kind of fight that imposter syndrome. I have the right to be a person in the life. I, I, for me personally, I do have to kind of battle through some of that. But I don't know how much of it is just the way that material and research is getting out there or if it's me, how no, I'm taking it. I, I don't know. I, I struggle with that, too. Like, you know, I am over here one of the staunchest like anti-colonialist people but also fully aware that like if it were not for colonialism i would not exist you know like that's uh-huh. a hard thing to like struggle with as a person i think it is and then we married white guys just because oh, we don't like to yeah, yeah. just to so keep a things whole other thing. keep things complicated oh yeah super spicy <laughs> <laughs> but but let's let's go let's go towards the real reason why I want to talk about these things. Let's go towards how do we heal? That's really great. I read a book that deals with this. We can also link this book in the show notes mm-hmm. um, called "I Can Go Home Again," um, mm-hmm. and it's it was a really good book. I, or you can go home again. You can go home again. It was a really good book. It was recommended to me by my by my therapist. Uh, The subtitle of it is Reconnecting with Your Family. So it was written by a family therapist. uh, Monica McGoldrick is her name. That's an amazing name. Yeah, it's a great name. And it dealt a lot with geneograms, which are essentially family trees, and using Mm. those to bring like uh, to to examine and look at like all these different sort of intergenerational patterns, suicide, divorce, 
um, mm. estrangement, like just relational relationship driven um, sort of things within families and looking at a lot of famous family genograms and seeing how these cycles have existed even within famous worlds. And then, so it deals a lot with that. There's a lot of background. Like it talks about the Kennedys. It talks about the Hepburns. It talks about all these families that are quite fucked up. So... Spilling the tea on all the families. About to say, girl, it's not herbal today, girl. (laughs) But but what I really liked about the book, too, is um, every chapter also deals with how to address these issues within your own family and within yourself. And so it has like a list of like recommendations and like questions and things to work through to start conversations and to really examine yourself, really examine your family and really recognize that like as a human being, our most fundamental connections start with our families. Even if you're estranged from your families as an adult, like that estrangement is, is a relationship, right? So this idea of like accepting and working through and setting aside judgment was really, really powerful. And I think those are, even if you aren't just focused within your family, I think uh, addressing these larger issues of racial trauma, these are these are questions and starting points that you can start using to work through on your own. Ooh, I like that. I mean, you know what I really appreciate more is that I read Post Traumatic Slave Syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGroo, and I also read another book, not so flowerly titled, uh, Healing Racial Trauma. Both of them, and I love, along with that book as well, really talks about beginning of healing, kind of going back to the village, mm. basically. Do you have a village? Do you have a family? Kind of getting that right. It's like getting your house in order, really, yeah. and dealing. And, and and that's the thing. And I think that's another reason why this is, when we talk about racial trauma, we, taking those steps towards healing is the most difficult because you do have to go back to your house. Yeah. You got to go back to the village and be really connected with those people. The more you need it, the less you want to do it, <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes, exactly. I, I believe it was uh, Dr. Dugru that talked about, you know, there are going to be some people that are not going to be down with that. And they're basically have to gonna get with the program because, you know, you're on to something new. Does that make sense of just saying even with that, just being like, if you have this village, if you have this family coming together and being open about your family history, about your grievances, about your gripes, about your beefs, just getting it all out there and clearing that air to be able to have a strong family unit and people are not on board with that. And it's not canceling them and not putting them out, just being like, we're still going forward and we're inviting you in to be part of that process of healing. And I think that's why, once again, I think we have to even normalize family therapy because if we could have, if we could do this on our own, we we would be. And just being honest about our our hurt, past mm-hmm. and present, you know. I, I think what was it? I think it was in healing racial trauma. She talked about we cannot heal our pain if we're numbing it. Yeah, and there was something about that that was so big. Because even within my own family, I don't like to show that I'm upset or things have hurt me. I just kind of yeah. want to move on. I'm a big move oner. I'm like, ah, I've moved on, but not really addressing it. And it never really properly heals. It's like breaking a bone and not seeing a doctor. You're like, it will heal. It will. The body's amazing. You know, people of color are amazing. We'll heal, but it won't set right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And um, this reminds me of a meme that has been going around. I don't know if you've seen it. That was a, I think it was a tweet by Will Smith um, that was Mm. like, The great philosopher, Will Smith. Yes, yes. But I, I found it very poignant. And it was one of those like, ooh, like when you read it, it was, it said mm. something along the lines of, you cannot achieve your way out of childhood trauma. And I was just like, ooh. ouch, ouch. But it's true. Like, those ooh. are things you need to address, right? And he would know. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, deck on it. Ooh, deck on it, Danny. Don't bring the stings from the great philosophical <laughs> Willier, Willard, Willard Smith. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true because also because part of that, 
in both the books they talked about so the reason why you need to have that village and that family is because then you have to kind of break into what you're talking about with the genealogy of getting to that history mm-hmm. let's get that history right because yeah. you know we can both attest to i don't think the history that we've learned in our school school's not going to give it to us no i want to because healing as I, I was is an individual thing and it also needs to be like a life thing like the world also has some healing to do it's going to be a lot quicker <laughs> believe it or not for you within your family to know that background history yeah. of what your family line has gone through than it is to change the world to start putting the real stuff in the history books exactly that still needs to happen yeah but... no it, and it's you're right it's a balance <laughs> of the two and i think they're both equally important but going back to your personal history is the easiest way well it's not easy but is is the simplest way to start perhaps mm-hmm. I think that it's really good. And once again, we, especially like for mixed people, that is going to be a bit challenging, but that that is the road. I think just being able to kind of root and ground yourself in that, I yeah. think. And I think there's also a lot of forgiveness that can happen in, in that. And it, it sounds oh, very- Don't get me started yeah, on forgiveness. I know. <laughs> I know, girl, but it's, you know, you already know. I know, but they always say it's like revenge. It doesn't bring change. It doesn't bring healing. It only brings bitterness. It brings a lack of sleep. It brings intention. I mean, we had a whole episode. If y'all didn't listen to that one, girl, it's good. Go back and listen to that one. A quote from the book that is like speaking to all of this, the book that I read, um, just to, to put it for you. The more we know about our families, the more we can know about ourselves and the more freedom we have to determine how we want to live. Learning about your family heritage can free you to change your future. Mm. That is so good. That is so, so good. And there, there, that is, there's that freedom in forgiveness. There's that freedom in moving forward. There is that freedom of changing those survival tactics. There's just, ah, oh, that's really good. That might have to be my next book on my shelf. Yeah. There, so what else? Are there other things that that we can do to like help ourselves move, move th- through this? I, you know, I think... I, at least for me, I'm, when I was reading and, and it was like, my gosh, it's like, how can you even get beyond that? I think probably the one I'm struggle with, even even beyond, you know, dealing with family first, is bringing together the community mm. as well. Mm. They talk a lot about in both of the books that I've read and in a couple of seminars that I watched, the importance of having your communities back. Yeah. Like Dr. Dr. DeGru talked about staying in the room. She's talking about having people of color being all together. You don't have to sign off is what they're saying. You don't have to agree with everything, but stay in the room. Don't leave. Let's work it out. Let's have each other's back. And for me, I that's like a utopia. That's like that's like a world. I'm like, in what world do we can we do that? Because we talked about it before in past episodes, even within different races we we pick apart each other yes that's real like we are harder on each other than we are on our oppressors that shit's fucked up (laughs) another another i'm i'm hitting my desk and making everything (laughs) shake that's another that's another outcome though of the racial trauma because once again that is something that that was very traumatizing. We had, you know, light skin and people who are more religious and less getting different treatment. So throughout each generation, that is a different kind of tactic, another survival behavior that we have passed on. And and it's got to stop. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You're right. It does have to stop. And it's something that we can apply across different groups. Like we're talking about it in terms of race Mm -hmm. right now, but you could talk about it in terms of women. You could talk about it in terms of class. You could talk about it across so many different groups, like any group where there's an oppressor and the oppressed, right? You can apply that same idea too. Exactly. You know, there was many things within that, like fighting off like a victim mentality, like I said, going off of these learned behaviors, fighting against um, adaptability. Things. There was a list upon lists upon list. But my big takeaway was fixing and getting together and really understanding my hurt, fixing broken bonds within family, understanding family history 
and gearing myself and what I do in social justice towards unifying the community. Mm. Like those are the things that I think I've really kind of took away as far as like my own journey through racial trauma. Because even for me, the community can sometimes be traumatic as a mixed person because I've never felt completely fully in whether it be from my own feeling or being made to feel that way. Yeah. That's real. You know, I can't, to me, I think it would be really healing in, cause I have friends, but it, there's something different. It's not just like friends and acquaintance of being with, with people of color. I think it's really feeling as like black people say all the time, that like group. you're invited to the barbecue. Yeah. Like you're like, you're, I just always feel like I, I can bring a side dish but I can never, I can kind of come, but I can never really sit down at the table. Right. And there, th- those are, yeah, that's, I always kind of always had that feeling and I would love not to have that. That takes work, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. No, I feel that too. I think a lot of us feel that. And I think it, there's just so much that is fundamental to our lives as human beings that involves being a part of a group. You know, like having that, having that, that strength of bonds with other people and, and knowing like, I belong here and nothing that I do is going to change that. Nothing that I do or say or am is going to change that. I think that's really powerful. Um, And I think it takes a surprising amount of work (laughs) to find that. (laughs) It, 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 it will. What was it worth to you? What is it worth to anybody? Yeah. When we see how it has impacted us in such a, a massive way. But think once again, I think if more people are talking about it, like I said, I, I'm seeing more podcasts, I'm seeing more books. If we get this information in the hands of people, of Holocaust survivors, if First Nation people, if you know, it's any sufferers of colonization, African Americans people who have suffered, if we can get these materials, if we can make that space, if we can stop defending and start focusing more on the healing. Right. I, I'm really excited of what that can do. I, I really am. I'm really hopeful for that. And I, I, I'm seeing more space for it. I'm seeing the need and the demand for it. I agree. Any final thoughts? Should we move on to our happy places? Oh, uh, no, I think that was a good thought. It's uh, racial trauma, it's a real thing. There's stuff out there. Yeah. <laughs> We're all working through it. Yes, we are. You're not alone. You are not alone. And if we have to do another episode about this, I, we will gladly do so. Just let us know. And like we said, it's not just us people of color that are uh-huh. confronting this, but White folk, you got to do it too. You got to confront your own skeletons. Get them all the way out. The back closet and the attic, everywhere. The cellar. Look in the cellar. I love a good (laughs) cellar skeleton. (laughs) Can you pass me that jam? I I pictured like a skeleton, like holding a wine glass. (laughs) I was like, what came to mind? I love it. Is it weird that my skeleton was next to like like pickled beets? Like I'm like, oh, look at those love it. preserves. Like I one love ha- it. one hand on a jar of pickled beets. Love it. Yes. Oh, that's how you end an episode about trauma. That's how you do it. For real. All right. Should we go? Should we be happy? Yes. Let's be happy. Damika, what is your happy place mm. this week? Are you are you ready for the crunchiest thing I might have ever said? Oh no! I don't, are you ready? I'm this, ready. This quarantine stuff is making me very very crunchy. No, actually, uh, at l- long story short, because of everything, we're all indoors. We're doing a lot of you know Facebook lives and chat lives, and so the room that I normally record in has kind of been slightly taken over a little bit. But my husband was really sweet. He kind of went in and kind of reorganized it so I could record. Anyway, he put, he surprised me. He put our little diffuser in, like our little humidifier awesome. oil. 
diffuser and it is really making me happy it like it changed it's really cute it's tiny it's like the faux wood it's got some essence of oils in it it changes color it, it it's making me happy i don't i know it sounds lame but no. I saw it. I opened That's the door. That's what and I happy like, places are here for. Yeah. Like, what is a little thing that is making you happy? Yes. It just made me so, because sometimes we don't always use it. And so I sometimes I forget we have it. And here I was, I was just like, it's so, yep, it's, it's cute. And it makes the room. I need, I need a lot of things to kind of relax me. My shoulders were high like Larry King. I call it Larry Kinging when my shoulders um, like right underneath. That's how my shoulders always are to me. <laughs> yes. Yes. My husband has to come behind me like constantly like push them down. <sighs> but they were just like my shoulders were in my earwax. They are just so high lately. So it's nice to kind of like just breathe. What's what's your favorite diffuser essential oil smell? Are you... What is bay? What is bay? Well, of course, of course, I'm always going to be super basic. I'm a hoe for lavender. I will always be a hoe for lavender. I mean, I, but my- I literally bathe in lavender essential oils. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. I love English lavender. I've I've been converted. Uh, probably the second one. I'm a really. I love citrus. So I I, had, mm. I used to have a blend that was like really like mandarin, orange peel, and grapefruit. It's just like, it really, it's kind of, you know, I'm a coffee addict, but that's, that's a natural. It just really gives me a pep. It smells clean without being sweet. Cause I don't yes. like super sweet smells. Girl, you need to get on that bergamot if you haven't. Because <laughs> one, it's a, a citrus. Fan. Two, it's supposed to be really good for relieving symptoms of depression. Bergamot's for magical. Real? Yeah. Ooh, yes. I will, I will berg and mont. I will welcome, do that. Welcome no, to Earl Grey cast. Always <laughs> Earl Grey cast over here. It is always. Uh, and it's always hot. Yeah, Earl Grey, Earl hot Grey hot. Yeah. Hot. That's what I'm drinking right now, girl. <laughs> yes. Yes, girl. Could we look at it, look how far we've come. Yeah. We're living the life. <laughs> what's making what's making you happy right now in these times? Um, I also chose something very basic. Just uh, you know. Being yeah, my basic brown bitch over here. Girl, love it. Simple thing that is making me happy, painting my nails. Yes. Here's, here's a truth about me that yeah. the world of podcasting doesn't really reveal, but I always have my nails painted. I am like she does. very into painting my nails. Um, I don't know if you what the color of your actual nails no, are. And you never will know. That's you won't. <laughs> that's this. The okay, I'm calling you out. This heifer came to England, like her and her man were so cool that you guys were over here for like what three weeks and had everything like in proper like rucksacks. They looked so European and so cool. Like you know, we're studying abroad, everything. And I'm thinking they are so efficient. They only pack what they need, maybe a book, thermos, and then I go into their room and she's got I, I don't know like seven. I'm over exact like seven bottles of nail polish hey, guys that is oh, not like- true i had one bottle <laughs> I, like, I had one I bottle of nail polish i thought it was definitely two i no, thought it was, it was like definitely a one i didn't pack it i, I think, bought it in england i think i think i think there were more guys I, there I was only I think, one for the record i think the fumes <laughs> i think the fumes do get her confused <laughs> But I love that. That was like, I'm sure she probably got off the, now I'm speaking for you. Um, I'm pretty sure she got off the plane. She goes, first, I need to pee and I need to get some nail polish. Stat. I mean, it was pretty soon <laughs> after I arrived that I bought some nail polish. But. I love it. I'm just letting you know. I just, I thought, I honestly, I love it because I don't think, I don't, even when we were younger, I don't think I really, unless we were doing a show, I don't yeah. think I ever saw your actual natural nail color. Yeah. I mean, um, when I worked and lived in Japan, I like it was kind of looked down on to paint your nails. So I did not have nail polish on usually during the week. But then Friday night would roll around. I'd paint those nails. (laughs) (laughs) Sunday night, I would take it all off to go back to work that week. Oh my goodness. There's some people who are really skilled. Like I know like there's like the acrylic and the but people who just paint their regular nails very well, slightly jealous of. I don't have a steady hand. I'm into the nail art also. I haven't done any for a while, but 
perhaps I, I should be spending some of this time at home doing it. But what I'm saying is <laughs> I'm enjoying painting my nails, even if I'm not going out and seeing anybody, because it's, as I have told my husband several times, like, it's not for anyone else. It's only for me. And it's like one of those exactly. things that's like very much like, I'm going to have these black nails till I die. So just fucking deal with it, world. Girl. I'm going to let you know, even though you are probably going to outlive me because your diet's better. But just in case, I'm going to make sure you in that casket looking popping and them nails black. So are yep. you a matte black or do you like a high shine? Uh, I, I do a pretty high shine just because my um, top coat that I use is very shiny. It's mm. very nice. Uh, sachet, sachet, vite. I don't know how to say it. It's a really, really nice top coat that I've been using for years and stays really well, keeps your nails pretty good. I mean, I my nails chip because I'm also like, even though I paint my nails all the time, I am definitely not careful <laughs> with my hands. So like I <laughs> nail polish is a reality of my life, but this top coat that I use helps mitigate that a little bit. And they do not sponsor the show. They don't, so you but know they should. Real. I mean, I buy like can. fucking huge bottles of it to pour into the little bottle to use. Um, no. So. <laughs> you loyal. That's amazing. It is. I've been using it for years and I use it every time I paint my nails, which is usually once a week. So. Okay. So here's some journalism for you. Toes. <laughs> Do the toes get the same? I know. Do the toes get the same treatment? I always have painted toenails. I only paint my toenails once a month. Okay. In the summer, a little bit more often because, you know, I'm wearing my slippers out and about and they get more chipped. Okay. And by slippers, I mean uh, flip flops. Yeah, I was about your slippers. No, it's <laughs> like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm going to have to get my feet recalloused for flip flops when I get back to the States because, well, England. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like there's always that, like, readjustment period at the beginning of the summer Ooh. anyway yeah we get, yeah feet are like have oh to. the sun oh the weather <laughs> oh I, i'm too gentle and delicate for this you found me wrapped up in oh, socks no. and shoes exactly i'm like whatever flintstone feet let me <laughs> shove a piece of plastic in between your two tender bit <laughs> Deal of flesh with it. learn to walk this way Exactly. No arch support and you will like it. Yeah, these sandals cost a dollar and no wonder my back hurts. <laughs> I have this I have this memory of being out and about for or like flyering for some show that my theater company was doing. This was like years and years ago. Mm. And this was with my best friend before he was my best friend. Um we were flyering together and uh we were out in one of my fucking slip <gasps> my no. flip-flops broke like straight up broke oh. to the point of like no repair <laughs> and so no yeah yeah i can't now i can't exactly remember i think we were close by a wall uh like a walgreens and i just went and bought like a dollar pair of <laughs> flip-flops to tide yeah. me over but yeah albuquerque's not a place where it's an option to go shoeless no it's guys. too hot <laughs> That, yeah, I think we all, like, I think a lot of people probably cringe because we have all, I mean, I've done that. It's, and the worst part is, at least for me, I know it's coming and I ignore it and I still gamble. Like, I know it's going to happen. I wear yeah. shoes out. Yeah. But it's the shoe cast. I mean, one one more non-sponsor sponsor of the show. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to sponsor us, please let us know. You, please, <laughs> please do. I'm, yeah. I'm not above it nor below it. I'm a pretty big loyalist when it comes to my my flip-flops, my slippers. Um, and I wear, uh, nowadays, I only wear, like, exclusively rainbow brand <laughs> sandals. Rainbow. That they're my favorite. They're, they're expensive. Amazing. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, it's more money than I should be spending on flip-flops, but they last About to so say, well. <laughs> Y'all didn't know that Danny was so bougie. I'm so bougie. Oh my god, how embarrassing. This this episode has been far too revealing. I'm feeling too exposed. It has been. I mean, you told people you want pickled beets in your cellar. Like, come on, guys. Too how revealing. much deeper can we get? Oh my god. We are opening our veins up here for you. So yeah. please l listen and make your friends listen too. 
I guess what we're else just are you doing like, anyway? we're getting too stir crazy here. Um, yeah, <laughs> you guys don't even know. <laughs> True. Oh, Danny, should 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 we wrap this up and then we can get off air and talk more about bergamot and flip flops? Yes, let's do it. All right, friends, you know how to reach us by now, I hope. Please be gentle. I feel very exposed right now. <laughs> you can send yes. us an email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. You can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at biracialunicorns. We're on Twitter at biracialmagic. Yes, we want to give a special thank you to Joseph Scott for his amazing intro and outro music, the amazing Dolly Pop art for our lovely art, the phenomenal So Smith for doing some photography for us. And also we're going to make sure we post all the books. We had a lot of information, a lot of sites and sources. Um, please read and reference those. They were very in- like inspirational. And yeah, during these times, don't be afraid to reach out. Really, we're here. We'd love to hear from you. We are. Uh, we'd also love to hear from you about what you would like to hear about. So if you have an idea yes. for a topic of a show, if you have a question you would love us to answer, if you have some sort of pop culture entertainment thing you want to hear our hot take on, do let us know. We are always so happy to tell you about what you actually no, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But we we really want <laughs> we really want you to kind of help us drive this this podcast and and talk about things that are relevant to you. So let us know. Exactly. Make sure that you subscribe uh, via mm. whatever podcast platform you use um, because we are pretty regular with this. We'll be back next week with our mini-sode and in two weeks with a full episode. Indeed. All right, friends. Take it easy. Wash your hands. So many times. Peace. Out.